hope you enjoyed that time of worship. As I say almost every week, it's probably my favorite time of the service where we used to stop and pause and sing uh, to our God, and He is worthy of all praise. Galatians chapter number 6, if you have your Bibles this morning, Galatians chapter number 6. We are almost through with, the, uh, with this letter from Paul to the church of Galatia. We, we started it just a few weeks ago, back in May. All right, so it's, uh, it's been a few months, but there's so much that this letter has, and, uh, and I hope that the study has been something that's been a help to you and a challenge for you. Hopefully, it's something that has helped you grow in not just your understanding of what uh, the difference between faith and works is, between God's grace and, and trying to uh, win uh, God's favor is, but I hope it's, it's also been something that has encouraged you along the way uh, to dedicate uh, yourself more to the Lord. And, uh, and so uh, this has been um, a, a letter that for me has been all those things and more in studying it. And, uh, and I hope that I've been able at least to, to be able to communicate some of that truth uh, as we've studied together. Galatians chapter number six, and we're going to read from verse number one down to verse number five as we start the last chapter. It says this, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another." For every man shall bear his own burden. We've been learning over the last few weeks, starting in chapter 5, that a Christian is to live the Christian life in the power of the Spirit. We are to be Spirit-led, we're to be Spirit-guided, we're to walk in the Spirit, and we're to have the power of the Spirit in our life. And if you look at it that way, we've been talking much about the Spirit of God working in our life daily as we live and make decisions in our Christian walk. Chapter 6 leads us to this truth, though. It says that the Spirit-led Christian will be a responsible Christian. Our freedom in Christ is not given to us to just make us irresponsible, as some were trying to do there in the church of Galatia. But the Spirit of uh, or the, the freedom that we have in Christ is to make us responsible in all areas of our Christian life. It's understanding that freedom in Christ isn't freedom to do just anything, but to do what we cannot do without that freedom. Freedom is to, uh, given to us so that we might serve God as we could not do before. The freedom is given to us so that we can love others as we were not able to before. And so when you get into chapter number six, it's the responsibilities of the spirit-led Christian. And this can make all the difference in someone's life. You know, I was reading a story and, and it didn't have really a, a, a sure source to it. So this is just what people say that have studied the life of Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria was one of the greatest queens there in the uh, country of England's history. And they say that when she was younger those that were instructing her got very frustrated with her 
that she began to, um, you know, just be disrespectful and disobedient and not taking anything seriously. Uh, and at that time, she really didn't know uh, what it meant to be in the royal family, didn't really realize that she was going to be the next queen of England. Uh, but in the frustration of all that the instructors were having, finally, one of them just told her. Uh, they were trying to keep it from her, but finally they just told her, you know what, Victoria, you're going to be the next queen. And all of this study and all the instruction we're giving you is to help you because you're going to be the next queen. They say that after she heard that, she simply responded to them, then I will be a good queen. And from then on, her conduct changed. Her, her, perse uh, her, her uh, uh, obedience changed. Her attitude changed. And, and they found that she suddenly understood that what she was receiving was for her good. It was for what her future was going to be. It made her more responsible knowing who she was now. And you know, much in the same way as we're living the Christian life, when you understand that the freedom that you have in Christ isn't freedom to let you just do whatever you want, but instead freedom to be responsible in your life, it changes what you do. It changes how you talk. It changes how you walk. It, it changes every aspect of your life. And so in chapter 6, you'll see the focus of that by Paul. He now he focuses, he says, brethren, if anyone be taken in a fault, if anybody be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. He begins to talk about the responsibilities that you have. Chapter 5 is about the rights that we have, right? And we, we are the liberty that we have in Christ to, and the power we have in that liberty. But when you get to chapter 6, it's all about now the responsibility with that. It kind of makes you think of uh, if you're a, uh, any kind of fan of, of comic book movies, right, of, of Spider-Man. What's the big in the first fight? I'm talking about the first trilogy, right? Uh, the first trilogy, the big thing was with great power comes great. Great, I'm not the only Spider-Man fan. Good. Great responsibility, right? It, it's, it's this idea of that. And here, Paul is saying the freedom you have in Christ will lead you to have some responsibilities. And they're important responsibilities. They're things that uh, if we neglect, we hurt others. It, it's a freedom that's been given to us to be a help to others. So this morning, I want to just share three areas of responsibility that any person that will be spirit-led in their life will be aware of, will look to fulfill in their life. I want you to notice, first of all, the first area of responsibility is this of restoring. We have a responsibility to restore. Now, the Greek word here is the Greek word katartiso, which means to repair. Uh, the term was used uh, as uh, people, as doctors were helping someone that had broken a bone uh, to mend that bone, to, to help heal that bone, they would use that word katartiso, uh, and, and it just means to, to bring back to good health. So you see that the responsibility of restoring is a delicate work, but it's very important. It's a delicate, hey, just like when someone is helping another person has a broken bone, you don't just kind of squeeze it and just move that arm around if they have a broken arm. You delicately are going to be treating that to make sure that 
it can get repaired so it can get back mended the way it should be. Well, the work that Paul says for the spirit-led Christian is to restore. Now, what are we to restore? Who are we to restore? Well, first of all, you'll notice that we are to restore the, the one that is caught in sin. It says in verse 1, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault. The work of restoration is not for those who never mess up. The work of restoration is for those that have messed up. Now, I don't know about you, but I can honestly say in my life, I've messed up. I wish I could say I was perfect and never did anything wrong, never said anything wrong, never had a bad attitude, uh, never used any words that I shouldn't use. But the reality is, I have. I've messed up. And to be honest, and if you're honest with yourself, you've probably said, or you can probably say, I've messed up too. And so the work of restoration is for you and for me. It's to repair when we've messed up. It's to bring us back to good health. Now, in the Christian life, you'll find that there are three enemies that we fight against. We fight against the flesh, right? That's our old nature. The flesh, we saw that in chapter 5, right? Uh, the, the works of the flesh, you know, hatred, idolatry, witchcraft, bitterness, envying, jealousy. That's our flesh. We battle that, okay? So we don't need any help with that. We do that all on our own. And we're going to battle that in our life because it's part of our old nature. But that's not the only, only enemy that we have. We also fight against the devil. Now, the devil is different from our jealousy and envying. The, the devil works in our mind. The, wor the, the devil's work is to make you doubt God, make you doubt God's faithfulness, make you doubt God's goodness, make you doubt God's truth. He's been doing that from the very beginning. Uh, remember what his question was to Eve when he was tempting her in the Garden of Eden? He said, hath God said? It wasn't about envy or jealousy. It wasn't any about that. It was just doubting. What did God really say? The devil that we fight always wants us questioning everything about God. Now, questioning everything about God is not the same thing as asking God a question. We can ask God a question. He is our Father. He, he listens to us. But questioning His goodness and His faithfulness and His love, that's something different. And that's what the, the, the devil does. His work is to do that in our mind. So that's our second enemy. Now, the third enemy that we'll face is the world. Now, the world is a philosophy of life. Right? We fight this. The world is what teaches us that, hey, whoever has the most toys at the end wins. You know, more work, more important, more success, more significant. Those are the world's philosophies, and we fight against the world's philosophies. Uh, we fight about, really, understanding things like that, of, 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 of wanting to have more and, and being uh, greedy, per se, and, and, and living our life and making decisions in our life based on what we think is important. The world has its values. God has his values. Uh, the, the, the world says, whoever gets served, right, he's the one. He's the man. You're the boss. You're the greatest. God's value system says whoever serves others is the greatest of all. I mean, it's diametrically opposed to each other. Totally different. So in life, 
as we were battling the philosophy of the world, we're either choosing to have others only serve us or we're choosing to serve others. We're, we're asking everyone to love us or we're looking to love others. So the three enemies that we have are the flesh, the devil, and the world. And here's the thing. What happens when you lose one of those battles? What happens when you lose to the flesh? What happens when the devil makes you question something you should have never questioned before? Well, what happens when we start living according to the world's values instead of God's values? What do we do then? That's what Paul was teaching the Christians at Galatia. Here's what you do. You restore that person. The one that is in that sin that's been overtaken, you want to restore them. It's not our job to ridicule them. It's not our job to judge them. It's our job to restore them, to help them get back on track, to help them mend and heal. Now, part of that process may be discipline, right? We do this as parents with our children. We're not trying to degrade our children. We're not trying to uh, raise our children to, to be, you know, losers and quitters, right? No, no parent has the idea like, man, I hope, I hope my son or daughter, I hope they're living under a bridge one day, just with nothing. No parent has that. And if you're a parent and you have that thought, you're a terrible parent. I'm just glad you're not my parent. It's a terrible parent. No, we would say parents, we, we want the best. But the process of getting them to think and, and, and to be hard workers takes discipline. And we teach our children discipline. Why? To help them. So when they mess up, the discipline is there not to harm them, but to help them. It's the same in the spiritual life. Right? The response that we have in our liberty in Christ is not to judge. And by the way, uh, in chapters 3, 4, and 5, that's what we were learning about legalism, right? Legalism is, man, I'm so much more spiritual because I do this and this and this. I'm so much better than you. And Paul says that leads to being very judgmental of people. We're not to do that. We're to restore. Those that are free in Christ are to restore them. And notice what, he, uh, what the author in Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 12. I put this in your notes. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but... Later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's the same idea, restored. So the responsibility that we have in Christ is to restore our brethren. Restore the one that was caught in sin. But how do we do that? Notice we do that with a spirit of meekness or a spirit of gentleness. Either one, spirit of meekness, spirit of gentleness. You see, how we do something is just as important as what we do. How we do something is just as important as what we do. So Paul directs, he directs us on how to restore that person that fell into sin, that person that lost the battle uh, to the flesh or to the devil or to the world. We are to do it with this spirit of gentleness. We're to, not to do this harshly. We're not to do it in anger and self-righteousness. We're to do that 
gently. The church of Galatia had really been practicing legalism so much that it had created this atmosphere, this culture of selfishness and judgmentalism and condemning one another and and really not helping or restoring the one that had messed up. In fact, their idea was to distance themselves. What did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees were the people that were teaching these Galatians this wrong, false teaching. What did a Pharisee do? He would pray like this, God, thank you that I'm not like that publican over there. Thank you that you've made me so much more spiritual. And that was the culture that the church of Galatia was fomenting because of that. So Paul is saying, the freedom that we have in Christ is to restore the person that has fallen, but do it in a spirit of gentleness. We do this in truth and in love. That doesn't mean we overlook their fault. We don't don't just say, okay, well, you know, we forgive you. That's fine. There's some consequences and there's some things that need to happen, right? Just like when we discipline our children. There are some consequences for some of those wrong decisions, yet you have to do it in gentleness and in meekness. We teach parents here in our church that if you're going to be disciplining your children with spanking, you never should do it in anger. I know in our culture, in the Hispanic culture, it's like, dale un chanclazo, right? That's what we say. Just give him a sandal to the back of the head. Or whatever's around you, just throw it at him. That's not discipline. That's abuse. Okay? The Bible's not for that kind of training in children. But they are, the Bible is saying, you need to be gentle, you need to be firm, you need to discipline, but you do that in gentleness. So you never discipline your child when you're angry. One of the practical things that has helped me in my parenting is I asked my son to go to his room. (laughs) Go to your room. I'll be there in a minute. Now, he's been disobedient. He's been answering his mom the way he shouldn't be answering. And then he just flat out disobeyed her when she asked him to do something. Now, if you're a dad, you know how mad that makes you, right? Because you're watching the game, and now I have to go do something, right? No, that's not true. It's just you're disappointed in your son that he's doing that. And the anger that you have, like, do you not know what your mom does for you? For you to treat her that way? I mean, it can really get some righteous anger going in you. But to not do it out of anger, I just sent my son to his room, and I need to calm down. Lord, give me the words (laughs) as I discipline him. Help me to do it in a spirit of gentleness. And that's the responsibility of every Christian. Every spirit-filled Christian, every spirit-led Christian has a responsibility of restoring with the spirit of meekness. Now, I love the way that Paul did this. In in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the church at Corinth was not a good church, okay? They'd been very disobedient. They had done some things and allowed a culture to happen that was very carnal in their their church. But notice how he writes them. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 1. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. People were accusing Paul, like, oh, he, he writes big words and, and he's pretty harsh when he writes a letter. But, you know, in person, he's very timid. And Paul says, listen, I'm writing you, to you the same way I would talk to you if I'm in front of you. Now, I could be harsh. I could be really, really mean. 
And what I'm saying is still true. But I'm not trying to give you the truth in a way that is rude and disrespectful. I'm going to do it in gentleness and kindness and meekness. So when we restore someone, who are we restoring? The person that messed up. How are we restoring them? With a spirit of gentleness. Paul says this is a responsibility that you and I have because we've been made free through Christ. Secondly, bear. Notice the second word here in the passage that we're studying. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The second responsibility we have as Christians is to bear burdens. The Greek word here is bastazo, which literally means to endure, sustain, or carry. It was used uh, to describe uh, lifting up something from someone else. Uh, we, if, you, if you've ever been to the gym working out, uh, maybe you've seen somebody either bench pressing and they have what we call a spotter, right? And, and the spotter is there so that if you're like on your third or fourth rep and you can't quite get all the way to the top, the spotter just helps you a little bit and lifts it off of you just a little bit. Or if you're uh, squatting the same thing, you have that spotter, it's there to do that. That's the idea of this word. Bearing, to, to carry, to lift from the, the load that's bearing down on someone, it's to lift them up. And so we find that it's our responsibility to bear the burdens of others. Now, I, I love the play on words here because what Paul had been teaching, what we've been learning is the law is pretty burdensome, right? He told them, if you're going to follow the law, you've got to follow every law. Not just the laws that you feel like you can do and, and forget the ones you don't do. And that created a burden on the people, on the Christians in Galatia. And he said, man, the, the, the Mosaic law it, it is a burden, but that burden has been lifted by Christ. We're no longer under the law. We've been justified by faith. That's what the whole letter's about, right? And now he's saying that freedom is also helping us to carry the load of others. The, the Greek word here is baros, and, and it means things that are weighing you down, things that are too much of a weight on you. Now, we carry the burdens of others that are physical. I mean, listen, if somebody's in a hospital, uh, we ought to help them. If someone's sick at home, we ought to help them. If you have a neighbor that uh, needs some, maybe something to, to be fixed in their yard and you can help them with that, help them. Right? That's what that means. To bear one another's burdens is to bear something that's weighing maybe that person down. It could be something physical. It could be something spiritual, you know? Sometimes the, just the, the Christian life can be bearing down. And, and, and you might have some spiritual needs that, that you need to be lifted by someone. The Spirit-led Christian bears that with others. You, you do that when maybe they're sharing that, that, that need that they have, and they say, would you pray for me? Now, let me tell you something. I know when I was a lot younger, when they would say that to me, I'd say, yeah, 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 I'll pray for you. But as I've gotten older now, I've realized just how important that work is. Just the other day, I was having a, a really rough time uh, last week, in fact. And uh, there's a good pastor friend that I have. And uh, I don't do this often, but I called them up and I said, listen, I'm just having a really hard time. I just need somebody to pray with me. And I was trying to be strong. I was trying not to cry over the phone. 
and uh, shared with him a little bit about what that burden was. And, uh, and he said, Jeremy, let's pray. And we prayed on the phone, and uh, I was so glad it wasn't in person. Like I said, I was, I was sitting there crying in my office. But man, after we prayed, I felt so much better. I felt that weight lifted up off of me. And I've always just had that thought that if someone says, would you pray for me, I'm going to pray for them. Because there is power in prayer. It's more than just like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you, brother. No, no, no. I mean, but pray for me. But seriously, like, would you go to God and ask him for me? I'm asking God, would you ask him too? Listen, I have found that that works a lot in my family, right? Elijah will be asking me for something, my oldest son. And I'll be like, ah, nah, nah. But then the other one will come and ask for the same thing. I'm like, we're going to go. We got to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And then, you know, then mom comes. We got to go to Chuck E. Cheese. All right, Rochelle, let's go. Let's go. You know, there's some, something about that persuasion when more and more people are asking you. Part of the responsibility that we have as spirit-led Christians is bearing burdens, spiritual burdens that might be praying for what they're asking for. Call that supplication. Sometimes the burdens are emotional. Someone's battling anxiety or some other emotional oppression. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. Help in that area. Help carry the load that they're battling. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. Warn them that are unruly, but comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak and be patient toward all men. Just bear one another's burdens. Secondly, we are to bear not just the burden of others, but we are to bear to fulfill the law of Christ. Unlike the law that the Judaizers were teaching, the law of Christ doesn't seek to justify oneself. It seeks to love and serve others. If you study the Bible long enough, you'll, you'll find and you'll read these verses that you can find in John chapter 13 where Jesus gives his disciples a law, a commandment. Notice what he says in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That's the law of Christ. Do you know that when we fulfill our responsibility of bearing one another's burdens, we're fulfilling that law? I mean, if you were to tell me, hey, pastor, I love people, I'd say, how many bear, uh, burdens are you carrying? Because loving people is more than just giving money. Even the unsaved give money. Even those that deny Christ can give a meal to someone else. I'm glad they do it. But Jesus told his followers, this is the new commandment I give you, love one another. How are we to, to love one another? Bear one another's burdens, that's how. We see that we are to restore, we're to bear. The last one, and we'll be done, is test. Notice as you get to verse number three, he says this, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. 
But every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. First of all, we are to test, to test ourselves. Every spirit-led Christian will seek to test their own walk with God, their own motives, and their own faith. Testing begins with a view of ourselves. That's why in verse number 3, he says that. He writes in verse 3, if you think of yourself more to be something when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. Test yourself here first. You know, If there's anything that takes us away from fulfilling our responsibility in testing, it is our own thinking. If there's anything that gets you away from being responsible as a spirit-filled person or as a Christian, it's thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself. Like, I'm so much more spiritual than everybody. Nobody knows God like I know God. Nobody knows the Bible like I know the Bible. Start thinking, you know, I don't even think Jason knows two chapters of the Bible by memory. I know at least five. I'm five times a Christian he is. We, we, we like to do that. We can make ourselves believe that we're so spiritual and holy that even the angels of heaven are pretty impressed. Oh, did you see that, Christian? Paul is writing to a Galatian church that had that attitude. That's where they were at. Their view was to compare themselves with one another. And Paul said, okay, listen, you think you're so spiritual, then test your own faith. You know, it's so much easier to be a critic than a creator, right? It's easier to criticize others, to judge others, to neglect others. It's real easy to, to do that. That's why Paul says the way we measure spirituality is not with one another, but testing ourselves with Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 in your notes, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. It's so important. It's so important for us to understand this morning that testing begins with us. Don't think more highly than you ought. Verse number four says, let every man prove his own work so that he might have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. The reason he puts in not in another is because others were doing it in others. <laughs> That's exactly what they were doing. Not only are we to test by first testing ourselves and having a view of ourselves, but we ought to test our work that is done. I had a college professor that used to always say, proof's in the pudding. And he'd say, what are you putting out there that proves what you say? Proof's in the pudding. You know, it's so true. Test your own work. How's your work going? First, how's your attitude? Are you thinking more highly than you ought of yourself? Like, I never mess up. 
That's why I don't bear anybody's burdens, and that's why I can't restore them. I never mess up. Paul says, that's because you're thinking way too high of yourself. You are not that spiritual. You wish you were. You ain't. But then you can also test the work that you've been done. What work has been done? You see, we'd all rather test the work of others than our own. <laughs> A whole lot more. Because it makes you feel superior. It makes you feel like you're better. But here Paul shares in the passage that we're to test our work bearing our own burden. This is important. Bearing our own burden. At, the, at, at verse number 5. Verse number 2 says we are to bear the burdens. That word burdens in verse number 2 I said was the Greek word baros. means things that are weighing you down. Here in verse 5 it's a different word. It's the word fortune in the Greek. And it means load. They would use that word if you were a captain of a ship and they gave you a cargo or a load to transport. That load was the burden. Now, if you're the captain of the ship and they gave you that load to transport and deliver, you cannot go to another captain and go, hey, I have this load. You need to make sure it gets there. They're going to say, you're the captain of that ship. That's your load. You make sure it gets there. I already have my responsibility. It's your responsibility. What testing does for the spirit-led Christian is that it makes sure that the load that God has given me to do gets delivered. That's why Paul reminds the people, we all stand before God, giving account for ourselves, our work. One day we're going to stand before God. We're not going to be able to say, well, yeah, yeah, but God, look, well, okay, 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 you may be right about that, God. But did you see what they did? I mean, I did better than them. God's not going to judge you by what they did. He's going to judge by what he gave you to do. There's parables about talents where the guy, the, the, the master came back and collected, and he said, I gave you these talents. And give them to the other guy. I gave them to you. Now, you're responsible for what I gave you. You know, God has given each and every one of us gifts. He's given each and every one of us a calling. He's given each and every one of us a burden. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? You see, that's what you got to test. 2 Corinthians 5.10, I put in your notes, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Every spirit-led Christian is responsible. We have responsibilities to restore, to bear, and to test. Can I ask you something this morning? Would you consider yourself a responsible Christian this morning? If so, why? Like this last week, just think back the last seven days. Were you responsible? Or what responsibilities did you take? It's a question we would ask our kids, right? They want to go out. Ah, uh, did you do your chores? Did you do? God will ask us the same. We have responsibilities. Every Spirit-led Christian does. How are we restoring? How are we bearing the burdens of others? How are we testing in our own life?
what God has given us. This morning, I, I just want to encourage you. I'm not, not trying to make you feel guilty or bad or down on yourself. I'm just, listen, I just want to encourage you. Listen, if we're not being responsible, then let's just start being responsible. That's all this message is about. Let's just, let's be responsible. Because the freedom that we have in Christ leads us to be responsible. If we're not responsible as Christians, we're not being spirit-filled. We're not being spirit-led. So I would just simply say, hey, let's have more of the spirit controlling our life. Let's be asking ourselves, God, there's somebody that needs restoration this week. Maybe somebody at work that doesn't even go to church. He probably needs to be restored. He, he needs somebody to help him. Maybe I can be that guy. God, there, there, there's someone at work that's, that has a, 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 a burden on them that's weighing them down. There, there's somebody in my family that's battling health issues and it's weighing them down. What can I do for that? God, help me to do something there. And maybe just testing ourselves. God, you've called me to do this, but you know what? I haven't been doing what I know I should be doing. Man, it's so important. It's so important that we're doing that. Christian-led or spirit-filled Christian and a spirit-led Christian has responsibilities. I hope and I pray that we can be responsible Christians this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth. How important it is that we be responsible. The freedom that we have can be misused so easily. And we can cause our freedom to go in directions we never were meant to go and do things that we're never meant to do. And we can abuse of the grace that's been given to us. And I pray that we would never do that. Pray that we would walk in the Spirit have fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But when it comes to this responsibility that we have, it comes with this freedom. I pray that we would be responsible. Help us in this church to restore and to bear and to test. Father, may we live a Christian life that truly is filled by your Spirit and led guided by you and directed by you in all that we do. And by doing that, may we make one another stronger. May we encourage one another. May we as a congregation, as an English congregation, may we, may we really show others, others that are outside of this congregation, what loving you is really all about. Be with us as we apply these truths in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.